right, so we're back for another week. Um, I promise everybody that this episode will be a lot more tamer than the episode last week. Boy, did I get a lot of comments about that episode. Anyway, um, so this one, I, I, I'm, I'm calling this episode an, an ode to first-line managers um, because as a, as a first-line manager, um, you know, it, it's been a lot. It's been stressful in terms of um, the pandemic. Um, and managing in the pandemic and, and wanted to have a conversation, you know, just talking about, you know, what's that's been like, because um, I think it's something that everybody can identify with to some extent. Um, but I also wanted to put another twist on it because, you know, what would be a Slade with Flowers podcast if it didn't have nuance and twist, um, but also talk about not only the pandemic, working from home, but, you know, having different generations um, in terms of the Gen Xers and the Gen Zs working together in quote unquote harmony. Um, and what's that, what that's like. So um, what I did is uh, I invited a cast of crew. You'll see these gentlemen that are here. Um, you definitely will see them in the fall during football season. Um, but um, um, all work in, in the IT space and, um, you know, wanted to get uh, different perspectives um, because they're at different stages from an IT perspective, um, from a leadership perspective. Um, so um, I'll, I'll start with you, Mylan. Um, you know, in terms of your particular career, you, you kind of went up through the ranks in terms of working in the IT space, mm -hmm. stepped out a bit. Now you're back in the IT space. As you've kind of traversed your career, um, what are some of the changes that you've seen when you were a young wolf and you were a young buck coming mm. up through to now when you see Zillennials or Gen Zs um, in terms of the workspace? What are some of the things that you're seeing that has been the differences? I think one of the main differences I've seen, well, not to speak on you specifically because you were my first manager, but just in terms of the relationship between the manager and and employee is a mm. lot more it's a lot more they've kind of strayed away from the technical aspect of work where they're trying to just you just I, I I have a job for you to do I need you to do it and just get it done and then just right. report back to me later right now you're gonna find a lot more managers are really trying to get into have a personal relationship with mm. their employees mm. Just to have, just so it's a better understanding of, you know, what buttons can I press with this person right. in order to get this out of them? Because in the spaces where we're, like, where we are in society where we're talking a lot about mental health and, like, people's triggers and things of that nature, mm -hmm. you have to start, like, as, like you, as a manager, you have to start opening your mind to that. And I find that when I left, it was more by the book, get right. this done. We're, we're, like I don't really care about you personally, yeah, yeah, but yeah. now we're like I need to know like what's what's going on with you. What are you feeling? How are you feeling? Right. Are you overwhelmed? So it's like there's more of a conversation of that. They're trying. I think more so now we're trying to get to a place where we're trying to make it the easiest place for a person to put in out their right. hours. So the focus is more from a technical aspect, or I would call it managing mm -hmm. to more leading with emotional intelligence. Exactly. Right? In terms exactly. of really understanding where the exactly. person is coming from. Um, so with that being said, um, do you find that the interactions with um, the Gen Z population, 
you know, when, when, for instance, you guys used to sit around and, and at lunchtime and mm-hmm. kind of have conversations, mm-hmm. do you find that because of maybe social media that they approach their job or their roles differently or their career progression? Do they, do they look at career the same way that you did um, in terms of their career progression? No, I think this generation is much more concerned about themselves in terms of getting to where they need to get like right you'll like i look at myself like i probably i probably looked at a job where i'm just like okay i'm gonna be here i want to put in at least five years and and then try and work my way up yeah 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 generation z they're like okay i'm gonna be here for a while oh this is like i don't like how this is i don't like how this manager talks to me i don't see myself um, st- I don't see myself progressing here. I'll only work here for a year and then I'll go somewhere else. Right. Because you know, like, you have those conversations and you look at the resumes, like, you've been here for a year, you've been here for six yeah, months, yeah. and you've been here for... And that lo- was looked at as, like, a no-no. A career jumper, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's man, just like, man. now, the generation's years, is just like, I'm gonna... It's like, I'm gonna go where I'm I'm valued. Right. That's... that's so the, the stigma... In terms of, because I yeah, that was a big stigma in terms mm. of if you had like one year, one year, and you're you're saying now that because it's happening so much with the Gen, Gen Z population that it's mm. no longer a stigma that it's right. Th- and and another thing is like I think they're just understanding. I think the general something that Generation Z understands a little bit better than my generations and maybe the generation just after me. They understand that they're the essence of time, like. They don't have to have it all figured out, and they're not trying to have mm. it. They're not trying to have it all figured out. I'm right. just trying to get. I'm just trying to collect all these experiences, and then when I'm ready, then I can sit down and right and settle down, so to speak. Do, so, do you think that the fact that they are that they're willing to leave a job because they don't like a manager or they don't like the space? Do you feel it's because? You know, they're focused on themselves from an EI standpoint, from an emotional intelligence standpoint in terms of what works for them? Or do you feel it's because of social media and the disposable culture? I think I think social media definitely has an influence okay. on it because you got kids that are making millions of dollars opening packages, mm-hmm. playing video games. So it's just like, do face. I need to sit here and take this from you? <laughs> I can go home and play Call of Duty right now and right. make some money. So right. it's just like... Or or I can start up a YouTube page, right, right. or I can start up a I can start up something on don't I can start podcast. up an online store. Don't say podcast. <laughs> I don't want to be another cliche. <laughs> <laughs> that, we'll, we'll, we'll say we'll, that's still that's still to be to be determined. Yes. But there's other options out there, and because they because you scroll on IG and there's another influencer, there's another person that's starting a business. It's just like the the idea that you can make it is yeah. there. So it's just like they're not putting up with the stuff that my generation would like. So like the hustle culture is like permeating yeah. or the, the what they call it, the side gig. Exactly. Yeah, the side, side gigs. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't. The side hustle. side hustle. I can't count how many friends that have small businesses, side hustles that have grown into. I have a cousin that started. He used to work at a phone company. You can plug him if you want. Uh, flash forward man, uh, video management. He started. He started with. Uh, he started. He started at a phone company, and he just. He just looked at it, or was just like, listen, I'm not trying to have to deal with these guys forever. So mm. he used to. He used to play basketball, and used to take his little iPhone and make highlight videos for everybody in his league. Okay. 
and then he parlayed that into making like buying equipment and making um, videos for uh, uh, independent basketball league. And then slowly but surely, he started building and building and building, and right. now he's doing his own thing. Nice, nice. You know what I mean? He's doing it, he, and that's you're gonna. I've seen that more with the younger generation than anything else. Okay, so Kevin, as a uh, and, and I'll, I'll come back to you, Milo, because yeah, I, sure. I, I do want to talk to you about one more thing. But, you know, now that we're on this note of, of EI and emotional intelligence, for you as a first-line manager in terms of your development, was that something that you felt that you inherently had and you naturally kind of just, you know, organically came into it? Or it was like, ah, here's my audience. I need to make sure that I'm resonating with them or I'm modulating my tone and frequency with them. I think when you first start off being a leader, you don't really know what to do in that sense. A lot of that stuff is instinctual. Mm. But the thing that helped me is I was a pretty successful account manager, and I just applied the same, like, the same principles where if I have a team of 15 people, I have a team of 15 different key accounts mm-hmm. that I got to make sure from an, an emotional standpoint things are going well. So like Mylon said, the transition nowadays is more so the conversation of how are you feeling like and being able to give constructive feedback on top of that. It's, it's definitely been a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I know there's different people which we'll kind of talk into, but – I think honing in on the EQ is more important than the IQ because there's a lot of structure that's already in place where it's like you have in a sales organization, you have a target to hit Mm -hmm. and most places don't really care how you get there, but you need to get there, but you need to have a plan. And in order for you to have a plan, you need to be able to execute. But in order for you to execute, I need to have you all up there. Right. Mm, And I understand that, hey, you know, most people are on quarterly, so... If there's a day where, hey, it's just not working, okay, instead of trying to make it work by pounding in the phone for another five days, go fix your pipeline. Yes. Go figure out a certain yes. else. Like, Because I'll be honest with you, there's days where I'll say, hey, we need 10 calls a day. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I'll just break that into a week apart. Just give me 50 calls because right. it still averages it up. Right. Have one day where there's a little bit of a structure where you're making those tough calls, but it's back to back to back yeah. versus you struggling once and be like, ah, oh, this isn't going to work out. Right. And yeah. then you're just showing up with zero stats on the day. And it's just like, don't really want to have to, you know, get involved in that situation. Cause again, it's, I'm looking at it from a long view, but you got to be all there like day in, day out. And I think yeah. one of the challenges that I faced during the pandemic is I think burnout, which I think we can all kind of relate mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. right now, nobody knowing when to stop in that sense. Right. So my, my philosophy is give me a good eight hours versus the 10 hour days where right. you're just going to be making mistakes. And stressing so yourself in. Yeah. It's, it's very important to Mylon's like Mylon's point. It's just, you got to check in. You got to make sure where their, their head is at. Whereas when, you know, Mylon and I were coming up, it was more so you getting this done mm-hmm. and I don't really mm-hmm. care how you really feel. Right, you right, signed right. up for this. Well, right? I so. take care. A bit. <laughs> a bit. Um, so uh, you bring up a good point in terms of burnout. So Mylon is, is the only IC here, individual contributor. What's it been like working from home? Like, like you're probably a year in now. Like yeah. What's what's that experience been like for you? Honestly, I was vehemently against working from home when I was at the office. But now that I'm working from home, I would never change it for anything. Mm. Because for me, it's you're 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 in your most comfortable state. Mm. Where it's like you don't have to worry about how you look. You know what I mean? Because you're not you don't have 
one of the executives walking in and like just 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 say just for instance you're having a conversation with your with your with your neighbor it looks like you're not doing any work yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. just being a just little chopped too up, chopped you're up. doing yeah, a yeah. little too chatty <laughs> yeah 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 you know what i mean but i'm at home like i can i like i i'm free to be me right you know what i mean i still am able to get my work done you know, I still I'm still able to connect with my managers. I'm still able to connect with my with my coworkers. And the only thing that might be a little bit a little bit um, a little bit of a negative is just the fact that sometimes they're not readily available because it's just like for right. instance, they're like you're at home. Okay, I can go make something to eat right now because yeah, I'm yeah, hungry, yeah. and they just. They just they're just off for fifteen minutes. Yes. It's just like you. It's like you can't really be mad at them. It's like oh my god, I need you right now. But it's just right. like oh well, I just stepped away for a second. Is everything yeah. okay? Yeah. So that's the only that's the only negative. But for the most part, and like just naturally, like for most most people think that I'm an ex this extrovert. I'm an introvert. Mm, mm. Like I like being to myself. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when yeah, it's time, you had your quiet moments. You know, at like work. when yes. it's time when it's time <laughs> when it's time to work. I'm not really trying to yeah 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 be in in the mix. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. when it's time to when it's time to be in the mix, I can be in the mix. Yeah. So for me, that's why I think that I enjoy it so much. Mm. And just and just looking at it from like uh, like life outside of life outside of work, not pain. I'm not I'm not the stuck gas. in gas. Oh my Oof. god. I don't even remember the last time I filled up a full tank. I I like I I'm at a point where I just fill up where I need to go and that <laughs> yeah. and what's crazy and what's crazy is that lasts me for like a week and a half where yeah, I just yeah. I don't I could I could just be going around for a week and a half on a half tank of gas and it's just like what? Where yeah. have you been all my life? Yeah, yeah. And you lose that perception of like the gas tank. Even just kind of coming here, I'm like, yo, do I have enough gas? It's like, oh wait, yeah. I haven't driven in like a week and a half. Exactly. Like, yo, yeah, you and our, our insurance rates are the same. Yeah. So Andrew. Um, you're in a unique position because when it started, you were at a company. Now you're at a different company. So traditionally, you know, where you're at a company, you would go into a brick and mortar, a physical location, get your laptop and meet everybody and sit in meetings. Like, what's that been to start a new job, like in a virtual environment and start a new job with more responsibilities, a totally different role from an IC to now managing people and building a team. Like, what's that been like um, in, in lockdown for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, at times it's been stressful. There's definitely been steps of burnout, many mm. steps of burnout. Um, but the most important thing for me has been just focusing on my day-to-day, -day, being very structured, very organized, mm. and making sure I put time into mimicking the water cooler, I'll call it, where I get the opportunity to talk to peers, even though they may have nothing to do with what I do, mm. just to get the feel of the culture, get the feel of what people are doing. Most of the people at, at the company I'm with now are actually based in the Atlantic. So they haven't really oh, been in okay. lockdown. Mm. So... I'm kind of the, the one of one, at least I was for the first uh, month and a half. And, you know, getting to know everybody, at least remotely, having the opportunity to speak with them over video chats. I've made a point to make that a weekly or biweekly occurrence that yeah. I can stay in touch with some people just to, to really get that culture. Um, the shift has actually been very easy. I've been working from home for over a decade. That's so true. That's right. Moving over to this was like, it was easy. It was, I looked around. I'm like, this is going to be a cakewalk for me because I know how important it is to structure your day. Right. You wake up and you're just, you, you could very easily lose yourself with something in the house. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so putting your office together and, and making sure you have your, your meetings scheduled and even blocking meetings for you're doing your call outs that you have to do, uh, whatever it takes. But the biggest thing was really the culture. Uh, but I think your counterbalance, though, was maybe. the fact that you went out and actually spoke to customers. That, when I noticed you, that was like the big thing for you. That was the thing that got you going. That was the thing that you text me and say, hey, I'm going to be in your area. Want to go for a drink after work. I've seen a client. Oh, yeah. So that's where I was going. Like what, like, what was that like, right? And now you're not kind of having those meetings anymore with, it's tough. with clients. It's tough. I mean, especially in the past few months uh, with not even having golf. Because uh, mm. we could at least sometimes escape on the golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't even have that. Obviously, it was too cold. So um, it's tough. I mean, yeah. You really have to try to do something different to connect with the people around you, whether it's clients, partners, uh, or your colleagues. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. Uh, absolutely, I've had I've had challenges at times where I've I've had to step away and disconnect uh, just to give myself a break, and then okay, come back to it with a fresh set of eyes, fresh mind. And, you know, give yourself that break because mm. if you're constantly just trying to put yourself into that position of, of struggling over it uh, and not using either your outlets for opportunities to, for stress relief or talking to someone like your mentors or the, you know, the leadership around you, uh, it would be really difficult. But I've got to say the last two months since I've entered this job from the, the previous has been a, a bit of a breath of fresh air in okay. some respects. Okay. Um, mainly because uh, I think there's a, a really good supporting group around me now uh, that's there and kind of we're all lifting each other up across the, the nation. Right. So y- you, you talked about mixing it up. And, and, and Kevin, I want to go back to your point because I, I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fanboy for a bit. I, I can't tell you how proud I am to hear you talk about the fact that you are – really being in tune with the reps and understanding that these are individuals and they're going to have their ups and downs and you're going to get to where you need to at the end of the day, right? If you, if you fine tune it correctly. So there's going to be a time when, you know, and what I do with my reps is like, I say to them, it's like, okay, like if you're going to focus on this today, focus on this today, but just let me know that you're going to be doing research today. Right. Or if it's like they're going to drive this activity this week, it's like, OK, cool. And then, you know, you look up at the end of the month and then they have the, d- the dials and they have what they need to do. And I think that allows them to have ownership in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if I'm dictating to you all the time, you're going to be like, he's just telling me what to do. So I'm just going to do it. And if it fails, he told me what to do. Yeah. Right. Now you're telling them, you know, this is your office. Right. This is this is kind of how you drive it. So I'm really happy to hear that that's the approach that you're using, because that helps retention rates, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the power of the pre-wire. Just let me know what your day looks like. Right. right. And with the power of technology, it's very easy to just hop on a quick, you know, via Zoom or whatever, you know, call mechanism your organization use. Just to do a quick checkup, specifically during, you know, like lockdown and the pandemic, because you don't you don't know where people's heads are at. So right. I try to stay up a bit earlier. So I'm the one that sends all the objectives for the day for everyone, the numbers okay. and stuff, just so that everyone knows that like and, and they already know this already, that like I'm up and I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like wh- mm-hmm. where are you at? So I, I love the engagement and I love just letting me know to your point. If it's gonna be a day where you're cleaning up pipeline and we're not gonna you're not gonna show up on the scoreboard pre-wire just let me know where your head is at and you know are you taking accountability for your territory right at the end of the day 
you know, if it's a quarterly business, after 90 days, are you on the scoreboard? Did you hit? Great. Um, because if you didn't hit, unfortunately, you're, you're now avoiding the contract that you have with your organization. Mm-hmm. We pay you at plan to get to plan. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a fine balance, but I think having more of an, a human uh, approach and I think that's what, again, I'll get off my soapbox from, from a step standpoint from you, but that's what made you successful. Like, you're able to kind of, like, mm-hmm. decipher, okay, I'm, I'm hearing the right words that I'm supposed to be hearing, but I'm not really feeling the energy on it. Mm-hmm. Like, And you have a great way of kind of checking things, and that's definitely one thing that I've kind of incorporated is, you know, when you say, how are you, you know, do you mean it in that standpoint? Mm-hmm. If you're like, yeah, I'm okay, it's just like, okay, well, based on what you're telling me, there's something else going on, and it's up to me. Uh, to figure out what's going on because if you're just not having a good day this is a day where you got to figure something else out so to that point though how do you i mean because now you have a team you you don't have eyes on them like they would be on the floor so uh, how do you herd cats right so because the thing about it for me is like when like i'm like okay this person usually goes for coffee at three o'clock so I am not going to reach out to this person because you don't want to get them in a stressful position to where it's like you're texting them and it's like, where are you? Like, you know, so but you don't at the same time want them to have to say, hey, I'm going for coffee now. And just everybody's just pinging yeah. you like. Mm-hmm. So where do you find that line between making sure that you're engaged with them, but not micromanaging them? Good question. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a micromanager per se, but again, I always lead with the business performance. Are, there, are you still achieving your key performance indicators in terms of indications or demand from a business perspective? Right. But I think getting engaged, again, from a, a one-on-one perspective, I need to know what your day looks like. Not necessarily today, but your surroundings, your environment. Um, you know, For example, I have a lot of people on my team, fairly young their days are a little hectic because, you know, from a Gen Z standpoint, a lot of them share Internet access with, you know, their 24-year-old. They're sharing Internet access right. with their high school daughter, like sister. Mm-hmm. And then they have smaller, like, other children that are sucking up the bandwidth because they're doing online learning. And then you may even have parents. So for me to set up a call with those specific individuals from, like, let's say the morning time, good luck. I'm going to get a bunch of connection issues because they're just not readily available. Right. And just understanding that this is now whether we like it or not, it's an input-output world. Like the nine to five days are done. Everyone yeah. has different obstacles day one, whereas at least when we were back in the office, everyone had that 10-hour break from the rest of the world, mm. their kids, everything yes, else, where yes. it's, okay, these are my 10 hours. <laughs> this is how I'm going to plan my 10 hours. But, yeah. you know, dealing with a mix of, you know, individuals on the team that have, you know, children and being respectful for the fact that online learning is tough. Particularly yeah. when you have, you know, kids that are sub-elementary school where, you know, they need to be in, in a very close distance and all the while you're doing everything, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing your regular job and then being distracted and then hearing something. It's to the point where, as a leader, you just have to understand that interruptions are going to happen. You're going to hear kids screaming. You're going to hear everything else then. But I feel like getting a better understanding of what those, like, 10 hours at home look like, yeah. I can kind of build my schedule around there. Um, and I've noticed Gen Z's, for example, they're the ones that will send emails 9, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., because that's their on time. Mm-hmm. And it's fortunate, depending mm. on the region that they support, it works for them. Yeah. So just being able to get an understanding of what does your day look like in your house, in your room. And it's, it, it, it's definitely been eye-opening for me. Yeah, and, and I love the thought about setting the tone because I would say, you know, when I was managing you guys, if I sent an email at 5 o'clock, in the morning, 
he has to be like, this dude needs to get a life. Like, what's going on? But now, like, when I do it, it's like they know that I'm setting the tone for the day to say this is what we're focusing on or, hey, because we got, you know, people on the West Coast. In terms of my leadership team, it's like, hey, I got this last night. There's going to be questions. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that we have a three-hour head start yep. so we can now have those ha- have those questions. Uh, we can answer those questions. So you would mentioned the mix. Um, what is roughly your mix in terms of, you know, you don't have to get into specifics. Gen Z but, yeah. versus, so I would say as a whole, I would say 30% of my team are in the Gen X category. Okay. The majority of them are probably in the millennial, I would say, uh, 60% are in that kind of millennial range, and then we kind of have some of the up-and-comers from a Gen Z perspective. So how do you, how do you, how have they been meshing, and how have you got, because, you know, I'll use a sports theme here. We know the championship teams are built with rookies mm-hmm. and yep. veterans. I don't know it's any championship teams are like old dudes 100%. or rookies, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how do you kind of get them to mesh, seeing that they're all coming from different kind of backgrounds. I feel very blessed in the fact that I'm an older millennial. So when mm. people talk about like, hey, how do you connect with a Gen Z? I'm an arm, like an arm's length away. I'm 83. Right. right? right so right. I have an older sister. Like she was a B girl. So like I knew that era. Mm. I knew. So I feel like, you know, all of us are kind of in that same space where mm. I can relate to the old heads. And at the same time, I feel bad even calling them old because I'm <laughs> old. Right. <laughs> so I can relate to the Gen X. will people do. <laughs> Present company excluded. I can relate to the Gen X's and because the way that I kind of came up, I remember, you know, not having internet. I remember, you know, coming home before the lights come on, and so do they, right? And even just some of the elements of going into the post-secondary. I'm not that even far off from the Gen Zs. I know it seems like a while, but we listen mm. to very the similar music, so half yeah. the time when we're, you know, because I do have a, a chat group that just connects everyone, so I think that helps with cohesion because right. it gives, like, some of the Gen Zs an opportunity to kind of show what they got mm. from a team perspective outside mm. of sales because sometimes it's really tough being the rookie in here. So any way that, like, a, you know, a Gen Z can kind of add value, whether it's, oh, you know, this is a cool little thing, and I've noticed it's very hard for Gen Zs to get on the phone and kind of connect with customers. Yes. They want LinkedIn Navigator. Yes. And, I'm like, and, yes. and I've had this debate where it's like, okay, I can see the benefits. You still need to build the relationship with them. But they're texting mm. all the time. Exactly, right? That's right? Their so method of communication. And, and, and a lot of them are good at it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a development opportunity for myself because I'm still kind of stuck in between the two worlds where there's right. a business objective. And, you know, if I'm talking to my leader who's a Gen Xer, it's like, okay, well, I'm in a situation where, hey, I, I'm kind of caught in between because I get the value of what they're doing. But at the same right. time, you need to be connecting with your customers. There needs to okay. be an indicator of you actually putting in effort. But they're great at it. They know how to connect. And they, oh, I, I, So this one person that I have, I'll just reference one small little story where they were able to get into a top account just by identifying in their account set which ones have blue tick marks on Twitter and on wow. Instagram. And they're like, oh, so they're actually taking care. They're taking social media serious. Mm. They got a social media team. That's my in. I okay. don't really feel, and that's something that I'm working on because I'm like, hey, equal business stature. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing stopping a 23-year-old from talking to a 40-year-old CEO except yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the coaching element is they, they see a problem. They're trained to navigate around it versus sometimes okay. just pushing through. Mm. And I think a lot of that has translated onto the Gen Xers where it's like, I never thought about connecting so much on social media. Mm. And it's actually encouraged a lot of the Gen Xers to do the same thing. And they connect better that way. And then all of a sudden they, they get on the call because they're used to talking. And then all of a sudden 
They figure out somewhere that there's a relationship somewhere. Oh, yeah, my kids go to this school, this, that, and the other. So it's an information share. So I find some of the Gen Zs or, or Gen Xers are more like, ah, I like the social media. I'm on it. I got my dogs on it. It's cool. Yeah. But they're not really <laughs> thinking from a business standpoint, which is where, you know, the power of the Gen Zs, they're, they're just forward-thinking individuals. And I'm amazed. Yeah. It goes back to my point where if you if the management structure isn't correct, they're not – it's like – I don't need to stick around to do this. I could figure it. I could figure something else out just by using my phone. Yeah, yeah. You know okay. what I mean. Um, and I'll call like my yo, Mylon. You are what like IT companies are looking for. You. It's mm-hmm. literally what you just said. There is is half the battle because a lot of the questions are, hey, you know, mo- most people that make decisions are in, are Gen Xers. Like, how do we relate to these kids? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ho- you hire millennials. Mm-hmm. You hire people that are in the middle that can still relate to the business objectives but can understand at least the thought process. Mm-hmm. Right. And the way I've kind of looked at it, I always want to have a mix. I mean, the ideal scenario is always being able to bring people from various backgrounds together mm-hmm. and then creating some kind of cohesion. I mean, the only way I've seen it work really well um, is when you have that what I would call reciprocal honesty. Okay. Through the team and up and down, mm. where you can actually have honest conversations, not just honest conversations, but conversations that matter, where you're going to help break down barriers, you know, resolve problems that are coming up. The only way it really works is when you have everybody talking and working together, because if you have someone off doing their own thing, that'll create sometimes a little bit of animosity on the team. Yeah. You start to think, well, if that guy's doing really well, yeah, he's allowed to, to skip the team meeting, but... I want to skip the team meeting and it's not my fault that I didn't do well because, you know, the people <laughs> didn't answer the phone that day. Yeah. And then it just kind of creates that, that, uh, that snowball effect and it can create a lot of issues. But if you have that, hey, team, this person's not on this call because – so if you want to miss those, those calls in the future – this is what you need to do. This yes, is the, the political setting. capital mm-hmm. oh, yeah. that you have, Setting right? that expectation, being honest with them and then it hopefully pushes a little bit of that extreme ownership – to them kind of up and down. So you don't have people pointing fingers. They look at themselves and say, this is what I can do to impact and make change yeah. as opposed to, you know, dissenting and being upset about what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I think that like the first national team I had, right. That was like outside of a time zone. I, I remember the challenge was, it was like, you know, my boss is like, okay, some people are going to have to work 10 to six. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, what am I going to do? Draw straws? Like, and who's going to work the late shift? Mm. But I started to look at it another way. I was like, hmm, all right. This person likes to go to the gym or this person likes to go to the gym late at night when it's not as busy. And then they like to go partying at night. And then when they go partying, they like to sleep in in the morning. Mm. And it's like, what if I tell you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can have a job that could fit your lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> like I started that conversation and they're like, ooh, that works. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like that. And then you had some people who were a little older who had, you know, kids. They want to do the eight to five, right? They're dropping the kids off from school. They want to be back, mm-hmm. you know, here. So that's where I kind of learned to bend, right, to mm-hmm. what my audience was and make sure I was selling the job on them mm-hmm. in terms of the, the actual yes. fit, yes. right? So, um, Andrew, I want to come to you because now you've heard um, Kevin talk about his team, what that team looks like, him getting to that point to where that team is like that good mix. You're in a unique position because you're building out a team. And building out a team is more than getting people together. It is you have to create an ethos or a central theme 
and then look for the right people that would fit that, right? Like with my team, when I, when I talked to my team and 90% of my current team was onboarded virtually. Some of them I've never met. And one of the conversations that they have, they're like, we're all different, but we all get, a get, get along. Like mm. we really like each other, but we're all different. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, because I saw a central theme that was running through mm-hmm. all of you that I knew that there would be some connective tissue there. Mm-hmm. So for you, I, I, I'm not going to ask you first what your ethos is, but I want to kind of dial it back to when you then are looking for somebody, what are some of the soft skills that, that you're really looking for that you're like, okay, that would be a good culture fit in terms of the organization or for your team? Yeah, great question. Um, I actually have that ethos. If you wanted it, um, well, we're can, we can we get can there. we can get there. Build we'll build. Let's yes, build to yes. it. Let's go granular. Yeah, yeah well, let's. Do I it. know you like thirty thousand and down. But yeah, let's exactly. Go let's go the other way. Yeah. Um, what am I looking for? Um, there's a few things that are really important. I think in anybody, whether they're going to be sales or solution architects, mm-hmm. service delivery, there's a certain willingness to um, take the initiative um, and lead conversation. Um, there's basic kind of hard skills, you know, education, I don't see as necessarily, frankly, as important. Mm. Um, I, they need to have a certain level of education. Yeah. But I think we make a mistake thinking that someone has to have an engineering degree to be a systems engineer, or someone has to have a business degree to be in sales. I think we, we should be a little, I, I find myself being a lot more open in that respect and, and instead focusing on the conversation I'm having with the people I'm, I'm interviewing or talking with and thinking about, does this person sound like they will be able to, in COVID times, have conversations with people and go uh, where I can leave them autonomously? Mm. That's one of the most important, where I know that they're going to go do the work, get the job done, and I don't have to micromanage them. But they're still going to be looking to me to help guide and develop and build build a plan, set expectations. That's that's typical expectations, yeah, I think, for yeah. us. But where I know that they're going to go figure it out. And one of the things I've said to everybody that, so far, two people that I've hired, <laughs> that, that kind of work with me for me. I say I work for them, frankly. But um, what I say to each of them, what I've said to each of them is, uh, I didn't hire you because you knew it. I hired you because I knew you could figure it out. Mm-hmm. Or we hired you because we knew Absolutely. you could fi- figure it out. Absolutely. So, if you don't know the answer today or tomorrow, that's okay. We, we're going to work on this together. You're not on an island. We're going to figure this out. Uh, so th- I think it's more soft skills in, in conversation. Do I get along with these people? Because if I can get along with them, I feel like every, anyone who's a client or a partner will as well. Mm. That's pretty much it. Those are the basics, uh, okay. I think, for me. And, and, and directionally, like what's your North Star in terms of like – uh, your ethos in terms of the central theme that's running throughout, you know, what you're looking for in terms of the DNA for your organization, for your business unit. Yeah, we want people who have, I mean, there's there's the technical stuff. There's the ability to sell solutions, not products. Mm-hmm. But what I'm really looking for is people with a growth mindset. People okay. who can go out there, make mistakes and fail and not feel like they've been defined by those failures. Okay. That can accept the failure, accept the small failures. We work with them, and there's a cultivation of growth where they will be insulated to grow, to build from that mistake, and then be stronger for it. Yeah. Um, reciprocal honesty, I mentioned earlier, super important. Mm. I need it just as much as them because I'm a new guy. 
I need to know what I'm doing wrong. Am I calling you too much? Uh, am I not giving you enough attention in a specific issue that you have? Right. Or am I giving you too much? And it's there's a balance there on my side where I don't want to uh, be overexerting, but I also don't want to miss something that I should be there for. Um, and then the other one was a big one for me is extreme ownership. Mm. Uh, let's not point fingers at other people when there's a problem. I mean, call things out, but let's call it out so early that it's a blip and we could fix it. Right. Because if we wait and we just, if we hide and we're not willing to open up and have that conversation with somebody to address it, it's going to fester. It will be a bigger problem. So let's, let's figure out what's going on and solve those problems quickly. Um, fail fast and then we can continue, continue to grow. Yeah, and I, I love the fact of you getting away from the blame culture because I, I feel that that really cripples people, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want to screw up. I was just, I was just, ahead. I was just ahead, about Martin. to say something because it's just like you, like depending on who you're bringing in for interviews, it's like you don't know what the previous manager has done to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like you want, it's like you want to, like it's, the onus is on the manager to create that and just say, hey, you know, this is a space where, you know what? If you're having issues, like for real, like come to me. Like I'm mm-hmm. not just, I'm not just giving you the the lip service. Like yeah, to come to me and stuff. Oh, you came to me about this the other day too. <laughs> yeah. Like, but it's like just having that honest, that honest, open, safe space for someone to come and keep asking you the same question ten times, and it's like yeah. I'm not going to be judged for this. That's something that's like that's on that's squarely on the manager, and I. It's refreshing to hear younger generations understanding the emotional yeah the emotional intelligence intelligence and the emotional importance of understanding that so just hearing that is yeah like amazing it directly relates back to what you were saying earlier i mean the the gen zers are are out there they're they're seeing anyone else making money doing what looks like no work Mm -hmm. on their phones and if they're and i i made a connection i didn't even say i I saw it when you said well they're just going to go off and do something else if they're not happy where they are if they're not happy where they are, I think that's a, a, that's a factor of they're not feeling loyal to where they are. Mm. And I, I directly see that as a, a correlation to first line manager and the uh, the position that they've created, the atmosphere that they've created on that team. I absolutely. Mm. And I, I don't know if you were trying to make that connection, but I just saw that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's def- it definitely comes down to the environment that they're in. It's just like when you when you're when you're in those positions and you don't feel you don't feel a connection, especially especially if it's if it's something where the manager is like they say it's an open door policy, but it's really not. Mm. Like people can sense that, and right. some like again, our generations were still of the mindset where it's like, no, put your head down, push yeah, through. It's, it's a sign of weakness if exactly. you come and put your hand up. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and it's for them. It's just like I'm gonna put my hand up. Oh, you're not responding. On LinkedIn, applying yeah. for another job, and yeah. you get that weird email. Well, I'm just putting in my two weeks, and it's just like, whoa, where? How did we that, even get where here? Where did this come right. from? Right. Where did, how did we even get here? I thought it was giving you autonomy. I thought you were great. Yeah, yeah. it's like, wait, I didn't want autonomy. Mm-hmm. You didn't check on me to know what I wanted, and you applied one one ethos to everybody, which is also kind of hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. you kind of have to be somewhat dynamic with everybody, yeah. mm-hmm. just but, like a basketball team. Yeah, but it yeah. needs to be some connective tissue around that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. Um, so now, uh, I don't know how much you've thought of this, but as your business grows, as you scale, that connective tissue, that ethos gets kind of stretched at the seams. So 
Have you thought about what's that going to look like in terms of when you scale your business, um, you know, in terms of the challenges that you could potentially have and, and how you're going to address those? Other than giving me a call and talking about the rest of your thought <laughs> <laughs> for our last card coaching session. <laughs> Luckily, that didn't make it, as you noticed. I don't know if you did. No, I didn't notice. Oh, that's we good. Can revis- <laughs> we'll revisit that off air. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's going to be something that's going to come up because I want to continue to hire people that are diverse. I don't want to continue to hire the same people. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's pretty fair to say, unfortunately, in tech, there's, there's a certain uh, cookie cutter approach to, I think, how people hire. They hire based on results and they hire based on numbers. And I find that to be somewhat limiting. I want to hire people that have the tenacity and that want to go grow and they want to go build. Yeah. And I want people from a variety of backgrounds to go do that. And the problem with that is it will be more disruptive mm-hmm. for the team and I think in the market um, if mm. we do it right. So it's going to be harder, yeah. uh, frankly. I'm not doing it, I'm not probably not doing it the easy way. Uh, thinking of it from that perspective, but I think, I think you're doing it the right way. But I think that's that's kind of what I've always wanted to, and what I've always thought of. And mm. honestly, I, I'm going to throw it back to Mr. Flowers. I mean, <laughs> frankly, when I had the opportunity to work for you back, <laughs> were <coughs> sorry, that out. At, at the last at that <sighs> sorry that's at okay. that last company that we worked together at. Yes, that. Um, so what I. Yeah, we'll have to. You have to. I have both of you on LinkedIn. I'll check that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was refreshing because I had come from another company. Yeah, and I had worked there for two and a half months, and I felt like I was almost going to be putting myself in a position where I was just going to try to hustle through, mm. and it didn't work out. And it was a lot of stress coming over to work for you. You were the the prototypical what a manager should be based on how I was taught when I went to Brock. Mm. That one we can keep in. Um, Maybe I should teach that course. Like <laughs> it, was, it wasn't just one course. It was multiple courses. And mm. it was the honesty, the openness of here's what we're seeing. This is, uh, you know, very clear set expectations and what you were looking for. Um, very clearly, I don't feel like you were ever picking favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, you were trying to help everybody. And you were trying to help. The biggest thing I think was you were trying to help people promote off your team. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing. You weren't trying to keep them there. And I felt like that at the last company, which was you know, suffocating. Yeah, stifling. And the, yeah. the opportunity to get away from that and to, to, to basically promote away, it was, it was mind-blowing to me. And it made me think, you know what? That's the way it should be. Why isn't everybody like that? And that's really what I'm looking at trying to do here. Not that I want people to leave the company that I'm hiring, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but I want them to put themselves in a position where they continue that growth and the development as opposed to, you know, feeling like they're stifled and they're not being able to do what, what's important to them as they go on their path. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and to me, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's the, the law of diminishing returns, right? If you eat eight slices of pizza on the ninth slice, you're going to be like, ah. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it's like you don't want somebody to get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere in this job. I'm just going to exit the business. And I think the challenge that we have right now in terms of corporations, it's like we're trying to get in all these people, all this diverse talent and, you know, look at our numbers, look at how great our numbers are from a diversity standpoint. It's Mm. like, okay, well, are you looking at where they're exiting the business, right? There is an inflection point somewhere in there to where they're leaving the business. Why are they leaving the business? Mm. Don't show me how many people you got in, you know, at the ground level. Show me where people are leaving to where now you're looking and they're not at the executive level. And then you're looking around saying, we don't have the pipeline. It's like, well, what were you doing to develop that Mm -hmm. pipeline? And 
you know, my inherent value to any organization that I'm in is not, you know, what I do in terms of working with people. Okay, anybody can do that. But what is my inherent value to the corporation? It's developing talent so they can then move on to those particular roles to keep the company stronger and viable and sustainability. That is my inherent, that, that's always been my view. Like yep. that is yeah. my inherent, that's what I was actually paid for to make sure this company stays around. Um, so um, really good conversation. Um, so I, I want to kind of switch it up a bit, kind of, sort of. Um, we got about 15 minutes left, um, but, you know, we can do this in a quick round table or uh, in a round robin or whatever. But, you know, when we were kind of doing the pre-production, you know, this kind of this conversation spawned, which I thought was really cool, is, you know, let's talk about inspirational leaders. Let's talk about people as you were growing up that, you know, in, the, in your current day that you kind of really look to. And I, I wanted to really open the aperture, right? Um, you know, if, whether it's from the sports world, an entrepreneur, business, a political figure, which, eh, um, or even a fictional character, right? Because um, I think sometimes fictional characters are some that you can kind of look up to. Um, so, Mylon, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can put one, you can put three, you can put five. Mm-hmm. Floor is yours. For me, um, just from, as a kid, I never really looked at but I never really looked leadership was not something I really cared about as a kid. I just looked at whoever was my favorite player or whoever like I w- like you know how some people are like yo I really love this coach. I never looked at things. I never looked at the world like that. It's not until I got into my more my more older years where I started looking at leadership and the impact that that makes. So with that being said, I like like my inspirational leader is Masai Ujiri. Okay. He He's just great. to see his come up from the Denver Nuggets to what he did to what he did when he came over to the Raptors with the whole like the attitude change mm-hmm. that that was that was that was instantly noticed like when that Raptors series where it was the Raptors versus the Brooklyn the Brooklyn uh, Nets. And he's outside on uh, he's outside on the square saying F Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't hear that, and he caught a lot of flack for oh, that. Yeah. But when you think about where that point to where he's brought the Raptors organization right now, it's it speaks to the volume of who he is as a man. And yeah. I've been fortunate enough to know people that know him, <laughs> and they the things that they say about him, the glowing recommendations, like you 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 can actually visualize that you know this is like this is a man of character. He's a he's a man of integrity. It's someone to follow. If you look at, I don't know if anyone, if you guys have seen the Giants of Africa on um, on Netflix, no, where he's been developing basketball, basketball players in in okay. Africa. All right. Yeah. And like usually when he has that Nelson Mandela thing, like the Nelson Mandela night where he brings in, they make it a big celebration. It's one of those things that that leads to his leadership, where it is like his vision isn't just one thing. Like he's literally trying to, like he's ta- he's using. The NBA as a way to expand and make be- make the world better for so many other people, and I just appreciate. I really appreciate the times when he gets on the television and he and he speaks, because he speaks like at the at the core he speaks of love. Mm-hmm. And with leaderships, mm-hmm. with leadership, like with a lot of leaders that you look at, you look at coaches. Uh, some of that stuff is like removed. You look at Bill Belichick. Who does he really love? Like. Mm-hmm. 
You know what? You don't feel it's like you don't feel that from him, but he's a great coach. Yeah. But what resonates for me is like he you could feel the love from him. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, Masai Jerry, hands down. Which the EI standpoint mm-hmm. in terms of the theme mm-hmm. that's, that's running through. Um, so that's two out of four podcasts that we've talked about. Masai, Masai, you need to come on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> my yes, obviously. Um, so anybody else that you want to talk about that stands out? If not, you know, we can we can come back to you if, if there's a, if there's nobody else. But, yeah. but just think about it. So Kev, um, for you, um, like I said, one five open floor. Okay, so from a growing up standpoint, I always look towards, you know, my bosses. So obviously looking at them right here from 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 an influence perspective, definitely being able to see a black man doing what he does in his own element. That to Mm -hmm. me, when I first, I remember that first interview where I'm just like, okay, right? There's that level of like, okay, but then, you know, just the way that you just kind of have a way with words and how you kind of just make things and how like you're very methodical it was just like i think i can do that right Mm. but i think sometimes you just need to you need someone to kind of just be that inspiration so Mm. i'll definitely say you were definitely influenced me a lot on my journey uh, into leadership i'm gonna be a little contrarian on this next one so it wasn't you know so you know it's one of those where i'm not necessarily looking up to them but i think i'm i'm looking at it from a perspective of me so i've been a leader for three years Go ahead. I've been a leader for three years, and it's actually funny. The person I'm going to reference is considerably younger than me. Uh, it's female. It's Naomi Osaka. Okay. So All right. her inspiration was she came in. I was a leader for three years. She started off kind of, you know, developing because we all knew she was really talented. She started to win some trophies. Very awkward at first, very awkward for me to kind of get into leadership, find my brand, find who myself and, and all that other stuff. But what I really found encouraging for her is within the pandemic, within the last couple of years, she was always getting a little bit better presenting herself when she's winning a title. So Mm. the only thing that's really stayed the same in the four years is winning. But her influence in terms of the global impact, considering obviously what happened with George Floyd and her leveraging her platform. And I know all athletes leverage her platform, but for the fact that she can... It, yeah. It's definitely authentic, but yeah. the fact that, you know, she was able to still kind of wear the mask where some people like the NBA, they can wear a shirt, but then when it's time to play, shirt's off or whatever. So she was always been about the cause to the point where it's like, hey, if you want to see me win, mm. then you're going to have to hear what I have to say. Right, right, and right. for her oh, okay. to G-check everybody from the all lives matter to even now where there was an Olympic scandal where I think one of the, I think the head CIOs of like the Japan Olympics in 2021 made a comment about women talking too long in meetings and she g-checked them and said hey um i want to know what that's all about yeah yeah and and it wasn't like we need we need an apology we need a response like first like no 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 you're gonna talk to me because last time i checked i'm actually serving for this country while i'm actually being in this olympics we're gonna have a conversation and and, oh all the other people in that room we're also gonna have a conversation so Mm. the fact that She's in it, and it's not even really for the money because, I mean, she's probably a net worth $50 million, but I love the fact that she took what she did as, you know, as a hobby to a profession, but she's 
like carrying the way that Serena had, right? Yeah. She'll be the first to admit that Serena influenced her. And it seems like for a 23 year old, she has that like the weight of the world on her shoulder saying, mm-hmm. Hey, like I have a voice. I'm not going to sit here and just collect these fancy paychecks and just kind of smile for the cameras. It's like, you hear me, you're going to see me and you're going to feel me. Right. So for me again, cause she came up at the same time I did, I felt like I found my voice during okay. the COVID pandemic, the same time she did. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that's definitely someone that I can see as like, wow, that's that's an influential person, and she's she's an old soul. She definitely can kind of get it from that perspective. That's really dope. Okay, cool. That's really dope. Um, anybody else that you wanna um, honorable mentions? Honorable mentions? I would just say just yeah, no, I think just from a sports uh, standpoint, I think we've all kind of kind of went through the same thing. I was gonna say <laughs> Masai Majiri, uh, but I think the thing that I loved about him, just to kind of echo your F Brooklyn. He did that for buy-in, and it was more so him being a new general manager, and it was one of those things where they didn't really know where he was, and it was the first time we've really experienced that playoff culture because this is 2011. Mm -hmm. That was automatic buy-in, not necessarily to the people in the boardroom that he's talking to because I'm pretty sure on the Monday morning he kind of got a talking to, but Mm -hmm. I mean it's slap on the wrist from the NBA, but it was just buying from the whole population of people going, yo, who is this guy? Yeah, He yeah, left yeah. his signature mark, but that's not who he was. And I think he just kind of had the emotional touch to know, okay, I got the audience, I've got the crowd, they just need to kind of know the real me. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. know what I'm about now, they know I'm passionate about basketball, they know I'm passionate about how much I dislike Brooklyn. Mm. Now you love me, now once you start to kind of see what I'm really doing behind the scenes, then mm. you're really going to ah, love me. True that, true Power that. and influence. That was yeah. a great way for him to grab the influence and the attention, and he really kind of had the power, and he's a smart man, so yeah. the power and influence element for Masai is just outstanding. It's very Machiavellian. Um, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, uh, Messi was actually one of mine too. So I don't want to go do it again. <laughs> Dude, covered need it. To get the passion on this podcast, 100%. The, the passion was there. I, and I sent him to YouTube. But, mm-hmm. the, the passion that he brought, I, I think, is what I've seen in a lot of the people that I have looked up to um, throughout the years. And I, I'm talking like high school basketball coaches, uh, my Mumba basketball coaches way back in the day when I was playing out in Markham Unionville basketball. Um, but then even in some of the college sports, you know, I love college basketball. I watched, yes, obviously, we know. the last three weeks, hey, every hey, single you game. Wanna, you want to come and watch the game? You got a meeting right now? You don't, come on. you mean? Come on, meet me at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> got to take those days off, uh, especially when the March 17th. It's a perfect combo. Um, but yeah, Coach Williams, uh, he just retired, um, and I'm a big North Except Carolina Terriers fan. Cowboys. Was he a safety? No, 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 no. <laughs> he's just he's number 31? No, let's not go there, bro. All right. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> His motto is hard work. And I, yeah. like, I've been lucky enough to coach a couple basketball teams, and I would tell them our motto is hard work. Mm. And I just love that mentality, and then that creates a winning mentality. He would go into games and say, we prepared harder than everyone else. We will work harder, mm. and we will win because of that. And when you take that ethos and you kind of apply that to the sports world, I think it's a very easy connection to, to the, uh, the business world that we have. Um, Coach Saban, Bama. Mm. I'm not a huge college basketball Interesting. guy. Not a huge college football guy. And you picked um, that one? I picked him for one statement that I read in an article in a magazine a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> not for any other reason. And I just like this one, and that's the thing. I was didn't this do, when he was the Dolphins coach? No, no, it was, he was still Alabama. Okay. <laughs> so when you, and it, I don't even know if this is a, a Saban quote, frankly. What? But he he said it. I don't. Other people might have said it too. Alexa. Um, when you lose, you have to work twice as hard to win. When you win, you have to work twice as hard as that. 
because other people are going to start having a target on your back yeah. and going yeah. after you. And I just I like the way he said it. He's much more eloquent than I am trying to say right now. But is he? It's. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like him more if his graduation rate of players was over ten percent. Well, that's no. a good point. I Boosters. mean, that, there's other elements there, and I totally agree. Like the like the college the football world universe. in general is a bit of a mess. I think in the NCAA should be paying their players. I believe there's a court case. It's uh, okay for you to call right it now. a plantation. What it is? It's, mm. Oh it's, my god, it's yeah. bad. Um, it's free education. Cancel. Sure it is. But on top <laughs> of those, quick uh, quick diversion <laughs> to my Steelers <laughs> oh. and the Bill Cower era and the the passion he would show on the field and Mike Tomlin because he had that same passion from the players. And this is when he first started. I remember a play. Heinz Ward was killing himself on the field. He comes running over, and it was the way he kind of rested his head on Tomlin's shoulder while Tomlin's like, I got you, man. The team's got you. We got your back. And there was just that feeling I got when I saw that. I'm like, he's playing. He's working his butt off on the field. He's killing himself. I believe he had a torn ACL at the time. And here he is. His coach has got his back. They won that year, and I love that. Um, I wish I was seeing more of that type of relationship with Tomlin and his current wide receivers because I feel like there's been a bit of a miss lately with some stuff happening. But I'm not going to derail this conversation, but we're going to have to revisit that one (laughs) because I absolutely disagree with both of those. But your worldview, Steelers' worldview, I get it. It's a Steelers' worldview. Yes, I I totally get it. But anyway... Um, Anyone else? No, nah, that's it. I think All I'll, right. I think I'll <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna? We'll cre- cre- keep that at the debate. The debate for next time. Yeah. I will say there's definitely an element to what you talked about with Saban um, that a lot of first line managers can relate to is the fact that when you're in college, he's got you for four max five years. Mm. So it's kind of what you were talking about before, where develop and then off, off you go yeah. and yeah. then rehire. I think that's the motion that a lot of like first line managers need to kind of have act like college coaches yeah. you're recruiting from you know if you're recruiting within your organization you might have another feeding engine or whatnot like that's the recruiting that you do after the, the season to get new talent in but you need the talent to go in order for you to say hey look i got this person in the nfl mm. i need this so look you want to come do. to a winning program go over here look at the people that are leaving and mm. i think a lot of organizations need that to your point we were talking about how there's this feeling stuck culture yeah where mm-hmm. if you treat it more like a college football coach where you know four years gotta go because i don't want somebody to be on my team for four years yeah like, yeah they know all my secrets and all that stuff. no way and, <laughs> and, and look i i'm i'm not gonna bag on other managers in terms of what they do mm, okay i'm gonna look at the end of the day what if, if i'm if people are moving on and we're still have the same consistent production you know what I'm saying to the upper management? It's me. All right? I'm not saying that my reps and my employees aren't good because they've obviously gone on to other jobs. But the X factor right here is me. And if you are so concerned about holding on to your people because you're like, if they leave, I'm going to fail, that ain't it. Yep. That ain't yep. it, chief. Agreed. <laughs> right? Yep. You are in the wrong business because you're not going to be able to control that for too long because it's going to burn down in terms of people not being there or being too comfortable or having that group mentality. Yep. And it's going to burn to the ground anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a manager actually say to me, you know, every time I would call them and say, hey, this person left the organization. Hey, this person ended their resume. And they would say, well, as long as it wasn't you. Right? Um, and I was like... Mm-hmm. You know, cool, <laughs> right? So, um, all right, so for mine, uh, 
I, I didn't want to convolute this because I could be here forever talking about inspirational people, but I wanted to talk about a person that, um, if I think about being a leader, um, was the one that, like, when I saw that person, I was like, yeah, I want to be that person. We talked about this in the pre-production meeting. It is number 13, Dan Marino. Um, so just for context, I grew up in the Bahamas, mm. you know, you, you know, I, you, the dolphins are right there, right mm-hmm. on TV all the time. So I'm talking, you know, none of you are born 82, 83. Like I watched the man play orange bowl. Um, and he was the type of individual where he put, he, he, I mean, he was a tough, tough dude. I mean, torn ACL. I mean, he was so tough. Some of the memorable moments I remember was, and you guys have probably seen the film, it's all grainy now, where against the Jets, Monday night, where he went to fake, you know, the down, and then he threw, and I was like, that's crazy, right? And it was then replicated after that. But what I liked about him the most was when, you know, and you had Mark Duper and, and Mark Clayton, um, you know, who were, you know, the, the, the duo, uh, who were small and fast. Um, if you missed a ball, and probably you missed the ball because he threw it really hard and it came to your hands. Um, you ever saw Tory Holt's hands? Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Um, you, he, if you missed that ball, he would just stand there and look at you and it would be the longest walk back to the huddle as he just has this look on his face like, you think it's anger, but it's disappointment. And it's like, you know better, right? But you see some quarterbacks who, once you drop a ball, they don't want to go to you at all mm-hmm. at that game, right? But he would keep going back to those people because he's like, look, I'm disappointed in you, but I believe in you. And I believe in what you're going to do. And I know that nine times out of ten, you're going to catch that ball. And it's really a shame that he didn't win a championship. And there's always this conversation about the great ones, right? Well, mm-hmm. he didn't win a ring. Um uh, but interestingly enough, Dan Marino, in terms of his career, actually gave me more of an appreciation for the running game. Because if he had a running game, they would have kept offenses off the field. Mm-hmm. I, like, you know, the, the defense would have been on the field less, and they would have been able to matriculate the ball down the field, right? We've seen that happen with the Bills, right? Mm-hmm. The Bills yeah. had, I mean, they had Thurman Thomas, but they didn't have a running game, mm-hmm. right? How many teams have we seen, Super Bowl teams, that had a good running game, mm-hmm. a crappy quarterback, and, and, it's, and they're yep. winning with a good defense, right? Mm-hmm. So I know we digressed a bit on the football one. So I'd say Dan Marino. So um, this is great. This was great. Um, I, I, I feel like a, a father to where it's like, <laughs> well, I am a father. I feel like a father to all of you guys because, um, you know, it was one of those things where you came into an organization and, you know, the world was your oyster and you had to make the most of it and you've made the most of it um, from that opportunity. And I was, I was ha- I'm happy that I was able to give you that chance and, and give you that uh, kind of jump off. So it's, it's really cool. I'm really proud of all of you guys in terms of what you've done. Um, you know, I, I speak to these two individuals um, and, and it's interesting as I'm talking to them, you know, we would go out for drinks, we would go out for dinner, and it would feel like a casual conversation. And mm. I wasn't even realizing that as I was having conversations with them, you know, I was actually doing mentoring. Mm. 
right? And I was helping them along the way in terms of the next steps that they wanted. And it was always, you know, I want to be a manager. I want to be a manager. And I'd say to them, but do you really? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what mm -hmm. really comes with it. Mm -hmm. I know you see what Arnold showed you, but mm -hmm. he didn't show you where the, the sausage was made, mm -hmm. right? Are you ready for that? I mean, you've had some growing pains <laughs> as it relates to that. And, I mean, you've had some times where you wanted to jump out and you're like, do I really want that? Right? Mm -hmm. And then you yeah. finally made the plunge. Um, so this is really cool. Thank, thank you guys for showing up. I Thanks know that, you know, for our, our viewers every week, um, this was a different feel, especially from last week. But I think it was a necessary conversation. And, and again, I wanted this to really be an ode to my first-line managers in the struggle because it's so hard to where we get beat up on from up above here and then the reps expect us to, you know, make the world a better place for them. Mm -hmm. So uh, shout out to you, First Line Managers. Um, so uh, signing off for another week. Um, I, again, Jamie, you, got, you guys watch Joe Rogan, right? Yeah. So it's Jamie. It's actually Chris, but you need to, you need to fix... Your IG, so I can start tagging you. I know, I know, we talked about it today, but I'm giving you a hard time for it. But 1990 Studios, the place to be. Um, please, please support, follow 1990 Studios. Some good things going on. And for another week, signing off. See you guys later. Bye.